Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in education leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, As usual, we have a really special guest uh, for you today um, who is a licensed psychologist and professor a distinguished professor at the NEAG School of Education at the University of Connecticut, Dr. Sandra Chafoulis. Um, welcome, Sandy. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited for this conversation today. Yes, thank you. Um, and so uh, for those of you who are joining us and didn't get a chance maybe to, to read a little bit about um, Sandy, she directs the UConn uh, collaboratory on school and child health, and um, she off, authors a, a great blog on uh, psychology today, um, promoting student well-being. And so she's uh, been, she's worked as a school psychologist and administrator. Uh, she's been in a variety of settings, and her expertise is certainly very welcome today as we talk about this uh, the disturbing trend in teen uh, teen suicide, and and uh, one of the blogs that was written was uh, that America is facing a teen suicide pandemic. Uh, so, Sandy, tell me what uh, what are you seeing? I know you've been a part of um, some studies that have looked at uh, uh, teen suicide. Um, what are you seeing is going on right now? Um, yeah, that, that's a really great question, the right now part, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So I think the, the blog that you were referencing, um, I had written right after the new CDC data had been released from the what's called the Youth Risk Behavior Surveillance System. And I was looking at the numbers and I, you know, was thinking in the context of the COVID pandemic and all the things that we're seeing going on in our community. And I thought, boy, how do we not bury this really important information amidst all the other things that we have to deal with? Because um, I think, as I point out in, in, in that piece, this is not something teen suicide or teen um, is not something that is just popping up. It's right. something that we can see uh, trends over time and changes in some trends or more significant trajectories or, or substantial, I should say, trajectories for certain subpopulations, um, such as female, black, or, or non-heterosexual populations. So how do we bring this up to the forefront of the things that we we're doing. I think, and this was back last in, in fall, because the top concern on my mind right now is how are we going to protect mental health and emotional being with all of the things that are going on around us? We spent a lot of effort on physical safety, right, and virus mm-hmm. mitigation and vaccines and mm-hmm. all of this great stuff. And I was worried at the time, which unfortunately appears to be coming somewhat um, true, is that we need to, to be spending equivalent time or effort in emotional safety, how we're thinking, mm-hmm. feeling, and acting. 
And sure. we're seeing now that it's likely equally as important as the physical safety steps that, you know, are so important that, we're, that we've done, but we also need to put that emotional safety stuff right at the top. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I don't know if that, and yeah. yeah, 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 no, I mean, that's, um, and that's something I have been a, pro, a proponent for many years is just uh, having people emphasize that it's just not about in schools, not just about the mm-hmm. academic and cognitive academic. development. Right. And, and what, and to that, to that point about the, the data, uh, yes, it has been. And I think this one was from September um, that yeah. I, that, that caught my eye. Um, I was really struck by the numbers and and just even just the statistic that one in five teens across the nation have seriously considered attempting suicide. What what are uh, even practitioners and you yourself as you've been in the in the in schools? Is there something different that's happening that we we're not aware of or we are aware of and just aren't doing much about? What what's actually happening that that in that we can say this is what's at least contributing to this increase? Yeah, that's a really good question. And first of all, I do I do want to point out that I'm I'm excited that I think the point of my writing that piece was brought across because instead of mm-hmm. losing the idea of these huge numbers and statistics that don't really bring meaning to you, mm-hmm. I tried to frame that in terms of hey, look, if you have 25 kids in your class. This is how many are are are, are probably are might like are likely to be struggling in this space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, so that's good that 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 seemed to be um, helpful um, to you. Um, but the to answer your question about why is it happening, you know, we don't really know why. There are a lot of theories and a lot of um, researchers working on answers. And and like everything else, probably in in the psychology and education world, it's not we're the solution is not likely going to be pinpointing one particular aspect or, mm-hmm. or, or space. But what I mm-hmm. think it has clearly highlighted to me, particularly um, when we look at some of the media pieces that are out there now, such as um, I think you had referenced to me in our initial conversations, the New York Times piece on um, the LA schools uh, reopening mm-hmm. in, in the midst of the pandemic, um, partially in response to COVID, um, uh, uh, it, partially in response to uh, the number of suicides that they have been experiencing. So what it mm-hmm. points out to is like is the critical life space that schools hold for many, many kids. That's right. Yes, That's there right. are things we need to improve. We always need to strengthen things. But for many of kids, schools are the lifeline and really the place where we can identify, connect, and um, respond in creating the uh, emotional safety space. Sure. And and that also suggests to me what we've heard for a very long time about school playing the role of, of that consistent space for many children, yeah. uh, that it's the place where they know what happens, they can be sure of the structure that that, you know, and from something as basic as what time it starts and what time it ends, right? That for many exactly. students, that it's not, that their days are not uh, guaranteed to be like that. I mean, you just hit the nail perfectly on the head because I'm sure you, you've heard amongst like the strategies that are suggested for you to cope yourself as, a, mm-hmm. you know, as an adult in this mm-hmm. pandemic is to try and figure out 
how to maintain routines, even mm-hmm. if they're adapted and changed, right? Mm-hmm. We love our rituals. That's mm-hmm. part of what makes us human and unique and, and human. So the idea of how do we put in, um, maybe you're not going to Starbucks or whatever you do for your coffee every morning, right? And sitting in the, in the, in the space and hanging out, but how do you create the routines and rituals and spaces that, that look similar to, to what you had before? And so when we sure. take that completely away, um, in schools or we don't have access to um, the ability to do the adapted or remote space. Think, think about the worry and anxiety that you have when you don't have your routine, the same thing for kids. And so, so yeah, we might not like getting up. Um, I have a high schooler, so we might not like getting up uh, for that pre-dawn before it's even light out uh, start of school time. But boy, when it's not there, something feels empty. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I, I just thought about how, um, how many students that there are that have responded to these and, you know, the studies and they've been a part of these studies mm-hmm. and, and they, they are important. Um, there are a number of people that are listening that are, that have seen some of this data and, and have, uh, undoubtedly tried to get attention to the information um, and it doesn't always work. Are there just other competing priorities in schools? Because this to me seems like a really, um, really important um, thing to focus on. Um, but what is it that prevents us from really paying attention to this? So I'm not sure that it's not, paying attention to it because I think mm-hmm. we've got schools out there that certain, certainly no one in, a, in an education environment or I hope no one certainly in our society would say, hey, this is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what I think personally is that, um, as I had written in that, in that particular piece, that, that part of a, a suicide prevention and response plan is not just about recognizing symptoms and then responding when things are already tough. What we want to try and use is use a prevention standpoint where we're um, looking to, to prevent or mitigate against those symptoms and, and incidents from even happening to begin with. And so mm-hmm. when we talk about suicide, I really would like to capture it in the context of um, what we talked about right in the beginning about creating a physically and emotionally safe space mm-hmm. and how can we strengthen what we're doing in schools so that when things don't seem quite right for, for a student or things mm-hmm. are getting a little bit off, somebody can, mm-hmm. you know, see it or the, the, we've taught explicitly um, how to recognize it in yourself so, and know that you have a trusted person that you can go and talk to about it. So we sure. don't get to the point um, where we're then responding and building post, um, post plans. So sure. there, are, are there are quite a few strategies that we can use in the prevention mm-hmm. space that I think we really need to emphasize in our society now. Um, And really, if we think about it, so we've, again, I'm going to make a parallel if that's okay with you for a second. Um, We've spent an awful lot of effort on this physical vaccine, right? A lot of money, a lot of effort, rapid time and rapid response. So we certainly Mm -hmm. have the capacity to do the same on the emotional side. So I did not coin this. It's actually been around for a couple of decades. Um, uh, A a group named uh, Bigland and Embry uh, came up with this term called behavioral vaccines. Mm. So think about that for a second. Mm-hmm. Behavioral mm-hmm. vaccines. So if we know right now in our American society that we've got some pretty substantial stressors 
and things that are going on, political unrest, um, COVID, um, you know, growing recognition of systemic racism, um, police violence, all those things, that that means that everybody needs to have a strengthened strategy in the emotional space, like Mm -hmm. a vaccine. Think about a behavioral vaccine. And then some are going to need more intensive strategies, you know, just like we do, again, like with shingles vaccinations, right? So there's certain subpopulations that are more at risk and need this additional vaccine. So if we take this idea of behavioral vaccines or, in other words, things that we need to do in our society right now to strengthen the emotional well-being um, of everyone, then I think – I, I would advocate that that's the direction that we really need to be doing because gotcha. everybody, myself included, you know, mm-hmm. we can list off lots of situations where I've been really stressed out or worried about things that have been going on and that my usual coping strategies haven't worked. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm assuming you can yeah. identify and think in sure. your own head about things that have happened in the past year. So instead, um, you know, so if we know that that's happening, that's actually a, a good thing because maybe we can actually put the idea of behavioral vaccine at the, at the forefront of our, our national conversation and understand that this is, um, should be a national priority, a national public health priority, just like we've done with other campaigns right. over the world. Like um, think oh. of seatbelts, right? We grew up with seatbelt right. laws, you know, um, or um, drunk driving rules, all of these, these things. Right. So that's right. been a lot of my the focus of the work that we've been doing is in, in, mm-hmm. in it was with schools. What can we do? What can we do to help um, educators in their efforts to to strengthen the things that they're doing in the kind of behavioral vaccine or emotional safety, however you want to call it, world. Yes. Does yes, absolutely. It makes perfect sense. Thank you. And those of you who just joined us, um, we have. Uh, Dr. Sandra Chafoulis, who is a uh, licensed psychologist and distinguished professor at the University of Connecticut. And we're talking about uh, teen suicide, the teen suicide pandemic uh, that America is facing. Um, I I, want to kind of pivot a bit. And, you know, you you Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier that, you know, we don't know what's really causing the increase. Um, There are uh, probably as many uh, different scenarios that we could look at in a given in one given school that uh, mm-hmm. different different reasons that students might have suicidal ideation um, and even some mental health um, issues um, and I'm sure that there are psychologists school psychologists out there social workers and others who are saying, well, okay, so what do we do? And I know that you have some strategies that you've talked about uh, that can be put in place and um, more so kind of a comprehensive approach, um, if, you, if you don't mind um, sharing that uh, in a little more detail. Sure. So, uh, you know, again, what I want to do is focus on some of the prevention-oriented strategies that mm-hmm. schools can do. Um, I think, you know, it goes, I think it goes without saying, but maybe we should start by saying that what we're, what we're seeing is a you know, profound sense of loss, uh, right, uh, with the loss of connection, uh, whether it be the physical space or even virtual, the loss of um, being able to do things that you normally would be able to do. Um, and it's, in some cases, we call it, it could be grief-related. So, again, just to, to, to pivot that back, the question is, is how do we mitigate against that? What should we do and how do we, um, what are some strategies that we can help 
kids do to make sure that they can put in place some semblance of a routine, again, that, that is comfortable for them but is flexible to be adapted as things continue to change. Um, so we already talked a little bit about uh, pushing hard to maintain routines, right? Um, and being able to kind of set up the procedures for how do I set up my day? How do I know if it's not working? Because that's part of our self-monitoring strategy to understand, you know, when do we need a break? How do I get my feelings back on track or my attention if it's related to my schoolwork? And uh, what else do I need to put into my routine to help me um, uh, buffer, uh, build sense of connection and buffer against this feeling of loss? I think um, one strategy that we've um, that we've seen promoted a lot, which I don't know what you think about this one, is uh, this idea of making lifestyle changes. And uh, mm. for example, you've seen a lot of pieces about getting outside. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen some of those. Like you need yes. to enjoy mm-hmm. the winter, particularly up here in the Northeast, right? It's not so pretty <laughs> some of these days. That's but right. We have That's to figure right. out what gets us out and moving. So the idea behind that is that not everybody needs a therapist as we go through this. Um, We can figure out how to set up our environment um, or our lifestyle to be successful. Um, And it's important to keep in mind that mental health and emotional well-being is really two-sided, right? It's not just the absence of the negative, but also it's the presence of the positive. Mm -hmm. So how can we make lifestyle changes that build the presence of the positive? Because those can help us weather better no pun intended, again, with Northeast weather, um, but weather better when the negative feelings and the negative stuff hits, like I can't do this or now I can't do this or I just lost this again. Um, And lifestyle changes or wellness changes could really be anything. So we just talked about get outside. That's time in nature is a really big one. Um, Exercise is another one. Um, But, you know, exercise has to be in a way that fits for what we like to do, right? So we mm-hmm. might one person might find yoga excruciatingly painful, right? But another person right. might find jogging painful. So we mm-hmm. have to find define exercise in a way that fits for your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Spirituality, service to others, uh, relaxation, stress management strategies. Um, those are all ideas or concepts behind the idea of lifestyle or wellness changes that can kind of bolster the the the, the positive um, side. So helping schools can, can work to help, and I've seen great examples of schools doing this, is to help um, students and the adults in the building too um, set up that wellness plan. Mm-hmm. Define what a wellness plan looks like, you know, specify the strategies and where are the resources to get them or, or to do these pieces and how do I adapt them if it doesn't work, right? Like maybe you have a socially distant get-together that you want to, to have over a bonfire, but um, maybe, uh, you know, maybe somebody in the group tested positive and now you can't do that. So how can we right. adapt um, that experience? And then not forgetting to evaluate, you know, stop and say, hey, did that work? Because if it didn't, what do I need to do to strengthen it? How can sure, I adjust sure. it? Sure. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry to interrupt, but I, I, that was one question I had um, because, you know, we hear um, we hear people say um, all the time uh, to reassure others, hey, don't be afraid. Don't don't worry about it. Um, I mean, yeah, what, what do you say? Want... What do you say to that? I mean, I think that I, I would get rid of the butt in your in your in your example, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, so in, mm-hmm. in other words, what we want to do is we want to um, recognize, identify, 
the, the emotions that we're having right now, you can mm-hmm. be worried. Right. But we don't right. want to then say the but and then say, but you should just forget about that. Right. We want to just stop right. with saying, boy, that really, that, you know, that really stinks. I'm sure you're, you're feeling really bummed that you can't do that. Right. So right. instead of the but, at least you got to do it last week, you know, let's stop with the second half of the sentence and instead say, boy, that really must be um, worrisome or that must be a real big bummer right now. Sure, sure. Stop instead and say, what could we do instead right now? Stay. Do you have ideas about, some, uh, about another way that we could connect with so-and-so? Or whatever that, that might be. So maybe that wasn't. No. Maybe that wasn't a great example. So sure, sure. It's kind of like re- remove the butts is what I would. Right. The takeaway right. on that. Yeah, that makes Stop a lot of sense. Stop with the validate. Then yeah, we can work I, later yeah. on to to say, well, maybe you know that's maybe your worry is a little too strong, but let's first let's just stop at the validate. Yeah. Anything else on the on the the so the prevention side? You know, you um, mentioned you know the yeah. The... I was just going to point out um, before we had um, started on the no bots, <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. just to to say that I um, if you wanted to see um, a couple of resources related to this idea of making this wellness plan, um, I had written a piece specifically for uh, thinking about kids uh, heading off to college or starting their college journey um, that you can find in, in the, the conversation it's called the mm-hmm. conversation um, five things college students should include in a plan for their wellness. And I also wanted to point to some great resources from Connecticut, um, uh, Connecticut state organizations as part of their comprehensive suicide prevention plan. There's um, something called gizmo G I Z M O. He's a little dog and a little dog mm. puppet materials mm-hmm. that give very much the same type of concepts in downward extensions for younger kids and their parent-facing uh, materials to kind of help you walk through developing your wellness plan for younger kids. Oh, that's so great. I just wanted to make a plug out for that. Yeah. You can go, uh, get, uh, you can find him on uh, gizmo4, the letter 4, mentalhealth.org, mm-hmm. and you can find some great resources there. Great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I think that's, we want to. I'm not sure if we want to move on to something else, or if uh, you want to yeah, keep well, going on well, strategies I, well, or prevention well, strategies. I, I, you know, I was thinking about all the. You know, there are a number of uh, teachers that are out there that have a lot of of responsibilities. In fact, um, mm-hmm. I just got a question um, from a teacher. Um, that um, was um, just uh, emailed in. It says, um, on top of everything else teachers have to do in and out of the classroom, how do you help other teachers identify students that may be at risk without making the teachers feel like they are doing more work? Yeah, that's a really, really good question and and something that I am worried about as well as we go through in trying to think about what are what do comprehensive school mental health plans look like? Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we have to have two features. One is that they're effective, meaning they have some science or evidence behind the strategies that we're putting in place. But equally important is the idea of usability. So it's something that we actually can use with satisfaction and efficiency and ease. And so the idea of um, uh, 
building wellness plans or the idea of using some simple strategies for emotional well-being is where we've really focused our efforts, things that anybody can do. Family members, if we're talking about at home or in a, in a virtual environment, school, whether it's virtual or in person. Um, so I'm not maybe not, not addressing the question specifically, except to say that no educator should feel like they're alone on this island to to figure this out. But there are um, strategies that everyone can be employing to kind of do that behavioral vaccine piece or, and bolster what's happening. And then there need to be systems in place to make sure that uh, we, we aren't having students or teachers fall through cracks, right, in terms of identification. We need mm -hmm. to know, for example, if I'm worried and I haven't heard from um, um, Johnny in, in about a week, who do I talk to about that? Who do I let them, mm -hmm. who do I let know? Who is connected to Johnny? You know, because mm -hmm. we all have favorites in, in the world, right, of people and and stuff. So who has the connection with Johnny and could do a, a good reach out, um, whether it be your, your social worker or your school psychologist, school counselor, or, or another teacher? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, who, who, can, who can help me build that village? Sure, sure. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. But, yeah, no, uh, it does. In terms of, yeah, so I, I've been, I was doing a bunch of work with, with families about how to um, kind of set up conditions to be successful um, at home. And I think the the same conditions or the same four conditions that I set up are helpful to kind of keep in the back of your mind, uh, whether you're um, an educator in, in, in school or a home parent caregiver trying to, to figure out how to do all of this. Um, and very simply, I, I call it the four Ps. So four Ps. One is that we need to have a physical setup that works for us, right? So that we've made mm -hmm. sure that the kids have um, are physically safe, which I know is a, is a, is a concern, of course, but um, have a place that they can do their learning, have their basic needs met, um, whether that be food insecurity um, uh, or a space. Uh, and there have been some really creative strategies that are out there. Um, I've seen, uh, you know, setting up uh, learning, learning pods and spaces for kids to be able to go uh, and do their, their remote space. Um, even in Hartford Public Schools, I think I just saw a piece on that. So anyway, four Ps, physical setup. So are we ready physically? to be able to, um, to, to, to do our learning and do our schooling. The second is not surprising. The second P is predictable routines. So first is physical setup P. Second is the predictable routines. I know when I can find Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Smith. I know what's expected when we're moving, whether it be remote uh, or hybrid or in-person learning space, getting those routines down and making sure we spend the extra time to teach it and get used to it <laughs> and be comfortable with it. The last two, um, the, the third P is positive relationships. I think that's the kind of undercurrent of a lot of what we've been talking about today and certainly comments that you brought forth. We need to have a place where everyone's connected to someone in a positive mm -hmm. way, right? Mm -hmm. And that we are creating spaces and opportunities within the environment to make sure that somebody is connected to everybody, <laughs> to each kid, each child, each, each teacher, each family member in positive mm -hmm. ways. And then the last one is that is, uh, the P is what we call pleasurable engagement and learning. Mm -hmm. So we know that the education environment, you know, what we expected pre-pandemic and the way we structured our days is not working now, right? We know that. Uh, and we've done lots of great um, transitioning and, and pivoting of our lesson plans and even myself and my college classes uh, changed the um, 
how we're delivering, how, how we're setting up assignments and making sure that there's voice and choice mm-hmm. and everybody, and so that every student can find something pleasurable, right? They want to engage in it. Four P's are kind of what I keep in the back of my head and thinking about, um, do I have a condition set up for, for this child? Do they have a physical mm-hmm. setup? Do they have a routine, predictable routine? Do they have positive relationships? And do we have pleasurable engagement in learning? Sure. Sure. And I I think it it makes perfect sense. And I think a lot of it goes really what I was saying at the same time, because I did get a, another um, uh, email from a teacher, it appears that says um, thinking about the concept of behavioral vaccine uh, setting up routines look different for different kids when their basic needs exactly. are not met. Um, so mm-hmm. I think that's that's probably a really important thing to keep in mind that it just it's not a one size fit all for those um, uh, people out there uh, thinking about that concept. Um, it's it, exactly it looks, it looks again different. the best example. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, no, go ahead. No, I was it looks just saying different it looks for everybody. And that was the only example of the only vaccine I could come up with in my head on the physical side um, right. when I was thinking about preparing for this was the idea of the shingles vaccine as yeah. an example. Yeah. But I think that's yeah. perfect. So if like food, if food pickup um, with your school lunch delivery is scheduled for X time and the whole family has to go and do that pickup at the same time, it's pro- we probably need to be have that built into the routine and maybe uh, the Spanish lesson is not going to get done if that's scheduled at that exact same time and we need to be right. flexible to be able to adapt when and how that could get done another time. Does that make sense? Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that we all have to be flexible on both sides of that equation on the school side, on, you know, that, that just kind of recognizing that, when we we talk about things like routines, they those two look different depending on the family, and mm-hmm. not make the assumption that because it's not um, it's not possible for uh, someone to meet a certain time or a certain criteria doesn't mean that they don't care or they just it's not important to them. Right, it's that it's difficult right. given their their circumstances. So I, I, uh, it's, it's very, very complicated as much of what we've been, you know, what we've been talking about. I really appreciate, um, kind of the structure that you've put around this. I've had uh, a number of people uh, on the broadcast, uh, for different aspects of this that really kind of all fit together and, and even, uh, just someone, uh, a couple of weeks ago, who uh, who had also uh, contemplated um, uh, all of the uh, any, a lot of different um, ways to harm himself, but uh, one one thing that stuck out to me was that he said he just needed somebody to listen at at a given point, mm-hmm. and I think we we absolutely in schools underestimate a child's how powerful. Um, mm-hmm. uh, um, their their network um, that exists. We I think we make the assumption mm-hmm. that children have someone to talk to, and I've even worked with teachers that have said things like, "But I'm here, so they should know they can come to me." And and I've asked some teachers, 
well, when was the last time you said that? It's like, well, I don't need to. I'm here. And it's like, yes, you do. Um, so the, I think with with the training, uh, I think we really are going to need to put the kind of focus that you mentioned, um, just like we did on the physical side of this pandemic, we are going to have to put on the emotional, psychological side. Uh, we, we will have to be very intentional about how we address mental health um, and the, the uh, emotional Mm-hmm. Um, recovery yeah. from this time period. I certainly hope so. I mean, wouldn't it, it would make me feel a lot better. I assume for you as well, if we can emerge from this uh, current situation and get, get through this um, pandemic and act and with something positive, right. And that positive yeah. being that we put a national concerted effort into uh, emotional well-being as a public health priority. Oh, absolutely. I, I couldn't have said it better. You, I, it has to be considered a, a public health priority. And, and I agree. I don't know that people are, are not paying attention. There are competing, I think the best way to say it, they're competing uh, interests, they're competing priorities. Uh, and mm-hmm. we have to just make sure that this this is yeah. up there. Um, I you know even with the the statistics that you that we mentioned, I, I just have to point out another thing that that stood out for me that and you say it. Keep in mind that the data is you know that we're referring to is even prior to the prior COVID, to e- mm-hmm. you know, the economic downturn, uh, the nationwide yeah. protest against police brutality. And so this is the big, so that was a, a starting point. Um, now we have to yeah. look at what's going to, what's yet to be revealed. So I, uh, I'm going to tell you, thank, you, thank you really for bringing that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I really appreciate you uh, coming on and and sharing, uh, particularly some of the the strategies and and framework for understanding how we can go about addressing this. And and we could we could talk about this um, uh, much much longer. Um, I know we're out of time now, but I do want to mention that um, at um, on March 11th. We have uh, Dr. Crystal Barksdale from the uh, National Institutes of Mental Health in Washington, D.C. She's the chief of Minority Mental Health Research Program there, uh, who's going to be on the broadcast to talk about within that uh, population of where we're talking about teen suicides, that um, looking at the numbers of of African-American um, children, particularly, that uh, these numbers are are increasing at a staggering pace. Um, so we're gonna that's gonna happen on March 11th, and this was a great kind of introduction to the thinking about teen suicide as a pandemic, and that even within there are other crises that we'll need to pay attention to. So uh, thank you um, again for for that, um, and so. Um, next time uh, we're going to be here, um, we're going to have um, uh, just a, a great opportunity to to explore a little deeper. And so, Sandy, 
Um, thank you for everything you're doing at UConn, and we really hope, um, wish you the best, and look forward to more of your um, your blogs and articles in Psychology Today. So thank you so much, and uh, we thank look you. forward to talking again. Thank you very much. Okay. Be well. Go well. Stay well. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.